Hey, I'm Rachel. And I'm Grace. I've lost my place. good yep okay hi i'm rachel and i'm grace welcome to our podcast myths and misfortunes we are a paranormal and true crime (laughs) podcast it's okay because i just spit on my laptop (laughs) okay at least we're both hot messes it's 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 chill so each week we pick somewhere in the world and base our stories on that place ow and or surrounding areas so, this week we are focusing on Greece as a whole. As a whole. <laughs> as a whole. Greece as a whole. The place that little girls inevitably, at one point or another, just become super fascinated with because of the mythology. That in Rome and Egypt. Okay, but today is about Greece. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do all of those places eventually. One of them pretty soon. So, my sources today... For history are Wikipedia and ancientgreece.org. Sweet. Sweet. Okay. Speaking of history, the concept of history actually wasn't conceived until ancient Greek times by Herodotus, who is considered the father of history. Hmm. He was actually the first to attempt recording events and human actions for the sole purpose of preserving them for future generations. Thank you, Herodotus. So you're telling me nobody wrote a diary before that? Apparently not. Uh, It was all, you know, word of mouth before that, but... Hmm, that's pretty cool. This brought a lot of criticism his way because he was the first to do it. Hmm. Thankfully, he wasn't the only one being ridiculed for long. I thought you were going to (laughs) say, thankfully, he wasn't the only one being weird. (laughs) No, ridiculed. Shortly after Herodotus began recording history in his way, a person by the name of Thucydides. Thick. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Thucydides. I know, that's why I paused. Uh, Anyway, Thucydides put his own spin on recording history. He began presenting history in a more objective way. He wanted to make correlations between human actions and events. You know, cause and effect. Right. Why was it so... Different? Well, like, no, I mean, why was it so outlandish for them to want to write down history? Because before that time, no one had thought to do it. Hmm. No one had thought, maybe we should start writing down what's going on. Yeah, I just don't know why they were ridiculed for it. Because it was new. True. People don't like new. So, the approach of these two men to recording history became the major framework for historians for the following 2,000 years. Hmm. I like your question before. (laughs) Why? Because my next sentence, before the recording of history, 
everything was told by word of mouth. There you go. Stories were passed down from generation to generation, and this was history up to that point. Famous Greek stories like that of the Iliad and the Odyssey came from the Mycenaean era, which is often called the Age of Heroes. The... Fun story, this is also where Hercules came from. Oh. The Mycenaeans actually outlasted two other civilizations from the same era and were major influences to most of Greece. During the Dark Ages, major settlements, with the exception of Athens, just kind of fell apart. Rather than having a settled lifestyle, most of the people of Greece lived in small groups that moved constantly for their livestock needs. Between 1950... 19? 19, I told you, I did it too! The last episode, every time, it's like, anything earlier than 1900s, <laughs> I can't fucking say it. <laughs> okay, between 950 and 750 BC, they had to relearn how to write, this time using the alphabet from the Phoenicians and adapting it by introducing vowels as letters. Oh. So, in fact, the Greek alphabet that was created then actually helped to form the basics for English alphabet today. You know, minus the weird A, B letters. You mean the actual, like, letters? Mm -hmm. No, like the, know, the A, E for, for... yeah. Whatever it's called. Alpha? Yes, but no, but yes. <laughs> Between 700 and 480 BC, Greek civilizations began organizing into city-states compromised of citizens, foreign residents, and slaves. The complexity of the social structure actually required the development of a legal structure that was supposed to ensure the smooth coexistence of the different classes and the equality of the citizens regardless of this economic status. This ultimately led to the creation of democratic principles, which were later developed even more in Athens. Between 480 and 323 BC, Athens and Sparta dominated the Hellenic world with their culture and military achievements. The two cities quickly rose to power, and won a series of victories against invading Persian armies. You know, you wouldn't think that from Athens, because they were supposed to be the scholarly ones. I'm sorry, you said Persians, and I was like, this is Sparta! <laughs> <laughs> Which is where it comes from, <laughs> Spartans! Early on, during the classical era of Greece, Athens and Sparta peacefully coexisted. Which is super surprising. The two cities were on complete opposite ends of the spectrum, politically and culturally. Sparta was a closed society that was governed by the oligarchic government. It was led by two kings who occupied the southern end of the Peloponnesus. Sparta organized all of its affairs brutally, with a powerful military that protected its citizens from both external invasion and internal revolts. However, Athens, on the other hand, was an adventurous open society who were governed by a democratic government that thrived through commercial activity. Athens is actually very similar to now. Mm. Their adventurous spirit and loyalty to the Ionian kin obligated them to assist the Greek colonies that were fighting with the Persian Empire. They landed a small garrison in Ionia to fight the Persians and spread the revolt. They proceeded to burn the capital of Lydia in 498 BC, but were then defeated in 494 BC. This enraged the Persians and the Persians began their descent on Athens. Athens vacated everyone out of the city that was not part of their combat personnel so that the Persians would have no resistance when they arrived to the city. 
when they arrived, they just decimated it, burning down houses and temples before pursuing the Greek navy who had taken shelter at the nearby Salamina Island. In 479 BC, the Persian army was defeated by the alliance of the Greek states under the leadership of Spartan general Pausanias. The victory of the Greek forces was a pivotal point in the development of Western civilizations. The classical period produced remarkable cultural and scientific achievements. Classical art, philosophy, and literature became a well-grounded springboard that the Western culture to this day use. The thinkers of classical Greece, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, remain relevant even in today's society. Hippocrates became the modern father of medicine, and the Hippocratic Oath is still used today. The art that was created during this time took a more naturalistic approach to the world. It reflected a shift in philosophy from the abstract and supernatural to more earthly concerns. Man became the focus and measure of all things. Rational thinking and logic became the driving force for the culture at the expense of emotion and impulse. There's so much history, and I actually kind of just want to leave it right here, but let's fast forward to modern Greece. Between 1944, actually 1944, (laughs) and 1949, there was a Greek Civil War. It was the first confrontation of the Cold War and was between the nationalist and non-Marxist forces, funded by Britain and later the U.S., and the Democratic Army of Greece. The Civil War resulted in a win for the nationalists, and this led to Greece receiving American funds through the Truman Doctrine and the Marshall Plan, as well as becoming a member of NATO. Hmm. With the help of the Marshall Plan's grants and loans, Greece developed rapidly. The economy advances even further through growth and tourism, and in 1952, suffrage for women was guaranteed in the Constitution. Between 1967 and 1974, the Greek military overthrew the center-right government. It then established the Greek military junta of 1967 through 1974, which became known as the regime of the colonels. This accession to power led to the isolation of Greece from European affairs and halted their entry to the European Union. In 1973, the Greek monarchy was abolished and the colonel Ioannidis was appointed the new head of state. However, in 1974, he was responsible for the coup against Marcarios of Cyprus. This became a whole big thing, which resulted in a Turkish invasion and a lot of bloodshed. This led to the end of the military regime, and democracy was restored. Greece's stability and economic prosperity improved significantly, and then rejoined NATO in 1980, and the European Union in 1981. And that is Greece. Okay. So... My story today, true crime. My sources were medium.com, aljazeera.com, ozy.com, trtworld.com, and wikipedia. The aljazeera.com by Patrick Strickland is really, really good. Honestly, I would look at literally all of these. They're all good. They're all really good. So, my story is about... Pavlos Fisis. Pavlos Fisis? Pavlos Fisis. Fisis. Yes. Okay. Pavlos Fisis, born April 10th, 1979, also known by his stage name, Killer P, meaning killer of the past. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. He was a shipyard worker as well as a musician and rapper, notable for his participation and performance in musical projects, as well as for his anti-fascism activism. He toured well-known venues in Athens and throughout Greece. He became an active member of the rap scene in 1997, starting his music career through the low bat movement and was noted for his performance alongside big names of the Greek hip-hop scene. On September 18th, 2013, Pavlos went out with his partner and 8 to 10 friends to a cafe called Coral to watch a football match. Okay. The Hellenic police received a call that night in which the caller stated that a group of 50 people had assembled and were armed with bats, reportedly heading towards the cafe. When police officers arrived, 30 people were assembled outside, a number of whom started to run towards Saltari Avenue, where another group of 60 had already assembled. This is where police officers found Fesus injured with stab wound. While still conscious, Fesus indicated Yorgos Rupakias, a professed member of the political party Golden Dawn, as the perpetrator of the attack. Fesus was transported to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Oh. Yeah. So, Fesus and his friends had been attacked by the large group. His friends got away, but Pavlos was chased down, beaten, and stabbed. Oh. Yeah. Violetta Kogatsu, who testified as a witness to Pavlos' murder, told the jury that police were already present at the time of the attack. Oh my god. She said, quote, Pavlos died helplessly, killed in front of the police. These policemen did not represent the Greek people. It said that there were five police officers there. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Police have provided varying explanations of the night's events, some of which purport that officers were unable to intervene due to the mob who had assembled, and others that claim that the officers arrived after the stabbing took place. But most people seem to agree that the police were already there when he was murdered. Oh, yeah. Okay, so... Okay. Yeah. After spending the legal maximum time in custody before trial proceedings, 30 months, because in Greece they can only be in jail, jail. Um, while waiting for trial proceedings mm-hmm. for a certain period of time, but his was a little bit longer because they tacked on extra charges. Charges. Yeah. yeah. But he was still only in jail for 30 months. Okay, well, that, that's, I mean, it yeah. could be worse. Rupakias was released from pretrial custody March 2016, despite having admitted the murder to a judge. He was subsequently required to stay in his home except for court appearances with armed guards, keeping him both restricted and protected. Likely, he's going to be locked up for life after admitting to the murder, but the trial hasn't finished. It really hasn't finished? It's a long thing. So, Golden Dawn, the political party that he says he's a part of. It's a ultra-nationalist, far-right, neo-Nazi, and fascist political party in Greece. Of course it is. I told you before we started recording that it was getting real political. Golden Dawn denied any direct connection with the incident, although Nicolas... Mm. (laughs) Nicolas Machiavelli. That is not him. Michaeliakos. Nicholas Michaeliakos, the founder and leader of the party, stated that it accepts political responsibility for the murder. Political responsibility? Yeah, political responsibility. With regards to political responsibility for the murder, we accept it, he said, during a 2015 
15 radio interview. As for criminal liability, there isn't any. Is it right to condemn a whole party because of one of its followers carry out a condemnable act? To be fair, no. However, if you are spreading these things, you're not completely innocent. Yeah, if you are spreading hate, you are not innocent in the least. Right. So, for decades, Golden Dawn has attacked migrants and refugees. For instance, the murder of a 19-year-old Iraqi immigrant. Immigrant. Oh, only 19? (laughs) I know, I'm just, I completely glossed over the immigrant thing. Okay. For instance, the murder of a 19-year-old Iraqi immigrant in Athens in 2012, and in January 2013, two men stabbed to death Shahzad Luckman. I'm sorry if I said that incorrectly. I tried to look it up, couldn't find anything conclusive. A 27-year-old Pakistani migrant worker in the capital, not to mention carrying out raids and attacks in neighborhoods with a large number of immigrants. Oh, that's horrible. Yes. But the killing of a Greek citizen Mm -hmm. meant that they'd gone too far for a lot of people. Following the incident, protests against Golden Dawn and the associated rise of the far right took place throughout Greece. This included a protest in Athens, attended by 2,500 to 10,000 people. Yeah. They marched towards Golden Dawn's central offices a week after the death. The protest was broken up by police force that had still left unanswered questions, uh, inquiries about police allegedly allowing the murder of Fisas to take place in front of them without Mm. intervening. The police response to this protest included 34 arrests and reports of one female protester being shot in the face at close range with a tear gas canister. Protests also took place in cities outside Greece, including Barcelona, Brussels, Paris, Amsterdam, London, and Nicosia? So everywhere. A lot of European countries. Honestly, I never heard about this. I mean, we were, like, just out of high school when it happened. So, I mean, we... Like, about a year after we got out of high school. Wait, what year? 2013. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't even watching the news, really. Right. So, anti-fascist protests staged in Greece turned violent with... Police and protesters clashing. Golden Dawn members of Parliament, who had been accused of acting as intermediaries in the case, were freed after they were not indicted. So, weeks of riots and protests prompted the government to arrest 69 members of Golden Dawn, including its 18 elected officials in Parliament. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Along with plotting to kill Fesis, the party is charged with attempting to kill migrants, weapons possession, and operating as a criminal organization. The trial is described as the biggest case against fascism in Europe since former Nazi leaders were prosecuted in Nuremberg in 1945. Much of the case rests on the lawyers representing Pavlos's family's attempt to prove that Fisas's that Pavlos's murder was premeditated. So basically, they have some proof and are trying to gain more proof to show that Golden Dawn actually planned it. That it was something oh. that they had planned out. Your ghost, whatever his name was, do. Okay. So the trial is hurting Golden Dawn politically as it failed to secure enough votes to enter Parliament's ju- July elections, which is good. Mm-hmm. Still, Golden Dawn commands a significant following with attacks on refugees and migrants on the rise. One of the lawyers representing Fesis' family says that the state must do more to stop the violence. The lawyers are honestly kind of in a lot of danger because a lot of the people who are arrested in mm. connection with it are free right now. Are free right now? Yes, because the the trial's still ongoing and a lot of them are 
not in prison because it's been going so on so long that they just aren't right yeah okay so one of them i read an article saying that she wouldn't list her husband's full name for fear that he would be targeted okay that's smart yeah i know it's it's just just so sad and pavlos's mother magda said this trial is not for me but for all of us and she's been really really outspoken against the golden dawn Mm -hmm. saying like calling them out for who they are and all the bad stuff that they've done. And reading this kind of made me really angry, but also, like, really happy that stuff is happening over there. Because a lot of the stuff that's happening there is stuff that I see happening in America right now. Yeah. And it's really shitty, so... But at least it's getting... At least it's getting press over there. Yes. Over here, it really doesn't get a whole lot of press. Yeah. I mean, it does. I mean, it does, but it's so overshadowed by a lot of stuff that people are saying, or it's overshadowed by stuff celebrities are doing Mm -hmm. and all of that. So I just thought this was a good story for me to do right now. Yes, good story. Very relevant. But yes, if you want to do research on this, please do. It's very interesting, and I'm going to be paying close attention to it, especially seeing how the trial ends up next summer watch BBC News, you know, it's going to show there. Hopefully. I don't know. But if not, if you can read Greek. <laughs> if you can read Greek, take a look at these Greek <laughs> look. spoken signs. Um, but there are a lot of articles that are in English that I'm sure will be posted because w- a couple of these were just from a couple of days ago and oh. early in October. Oh, okay. Well, that's very recent then. Oh, jeez. And that was my story about Pavlos Fisis. It's a good story, but that's a horrible story. I know. There's there's no resolve yet. Not yet. But hopefully, I mean, but you can see that there's like active change being yeah. made in Greece. And I know we haven't been super, super political on the podcast, but... We have our moments. Yeah. It. Yeah. Okay. So... Less political. Less... Less political in honor of Pan, who just passed away. My story this week is about satyrs. Sweet. Please be advised that my story may contain mentions of multiple forms of sexual assault that may be triggering for some listeners. So if that pertains to you, we advise that you stop listening here. So, okay, my sources are Wikipedia, ancientgreece.org, again, mythology.net, and schmoop. (laughs) <laughs> also, I didn't want to, I, I I know I said, yeah, but that wasn't like an excited, I mean, it was an excited, yeah, because I kind of remembered you saying something like this. Yeah. But. I, I knew what you meant. Yeah. By the way, Pan, do you want to tell them who Pan is? Pan was my pet hedgehog who I had to put down about two weeks ago because he suffered a stroke. And there was just nothing the doctors could do to help make him feel better. I've had him for the past three years. And I named him after Peter Pan because I have always been obsessed with Peter Pan. And also after the Greek mythological figure Pan, who is super similar to satyrs. My logic behind this was that his cute little feet just... it. His, his feet were just so cute. He was really cute. He, he, it was so cute. And next, do you want to do recording and then go get that tattoo? Yes. Yes, right? yeah. yes okay. please. And okay, yeah. But his, his cute little feet, and like Grace just said, I'm going to go, we're going to get a tattoo 
for me of his little paw print because the vet did that for me for free and it's just something I really want because I was distraught after losing him yeah but it my mom kept telling me his cute little deer feet that's why you have to name him pan his cute cute little deer feet he did not have hooves (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) he's got I mean he's got little paws it's just cute little okay I went down a hole. Story. <laughs> Story. Okay. <clears throat> the name satyr is often defined as a brutish or lustful man. A satyr is a male nature spirit with thick curly hair that often resembles a mane, although sometimes balding, and beards that come down okay. to their chests. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Like like Phil and Hercules. Like Danny DeVito. <clears throat> like like Danny DeVito. <laughs> They have small little horns that can just barely be seen through their hair. And they have human-like but also beast-like faces with really flat, broad noses and pointed ears like a horse. Hmm. Uh, They also have a horse or donkey tail coming from their lower back. This does vary slightly from pans who have the entire hind end of a goat, like they have legs, everything, Mm -hmm. because satyrs do not. Oh. Yeah, satyrs have just regular human human legs. But after the Hellenistic period, both satyrs and pans were portrayed more human-like than animal. Okay. So they didn't have the hind end of the goat or the horse or the donkey. They didn't have the tail. They didn't have the ears. Whatever. Satyrs, also, are always shown naked with a permanent exaggerated erection. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that laugh was so loud. You'll be able to see it. Holy shit. Oh god. They are often depicted masturbating or copulating with animals Ew. and nymphs. Yeah. They are characterized by their pervertedness and joking nature and are known as lovers of wine, music, dancing, and women. For these reasons, they were the frequent companions of the god Dionysus. Speaking of Dionysus, an elderly satyr named Selinus. Celine Dion? (laughs) No, Selinus. Ah. An elderly satyr named Selinus is believed to be the tutor of Dionysus. After Dionysus grew to maturity and became an adult god, Selinus became one of his most devout followers, and he remained perpetually drunk. Sweet. Good old drunkard at all of Dionysus' parties. Uh, <clears throat> we all have that one friend. Check on that friend, BT dubs. Yeah, please check on your friends. Especially that friend. Seder parties would usually turn into frenzies because they just couldn't control their high spirits. Not only that, impulse control really wasn't their thing. While their parties may seem like the place to be... By the way, I spent like 10 minutes trying to figure out which word to use here because, you know, to make it more relatable to, relatable to younger listeners mm-hmm. and people who actually get out. <laughs> but I'm not cool. I don't get out. I have no idea what cods, what kids call it. You know, the place to be. What the heck do you call that? The place to be. I don't know. There used to be a word for it. I can't remember the spot. it. 
the spot. The 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 hang out. The yeah. Yeah. Wow, fuck, how old are we? <laughs> um too old. <laughs> I even asked Sharon and she was like, I don't know. I'm not popular. What do kids call the place to be? That's that wasn't helpful. <laughs> um myself urban dictionary. <laughs> It's okay, I'm going to keep going. While the parties may seem like the place to be, you really don't want to get too close. Satyrs are known for being wild and reckless, and this tends to quickly spiral into destruction. They've been known to tear apart villages that stood in the paths of their parades, and even trampling crops, looting food from people, and just leaving a hellish mess in the wake of their parties. I Urban Dictionary, the spot, it's a place... W- which a crew frequents to log in time chilling, often secluded in a forest or otherwise natural environment. So it's the spot. Apparently it's also a cold name, a cold name, a code name for a place to smoke pot. Oh, well, they probably did that too. <laughs> huh. Yeah, so um, the spot seems to be the place. All right. They are, however, most known for their insatiable lust and not taking no for an answer. These drunken, supernaturally strong creatures have been responsible for the seduction and raping of an innumerable number of mints, as well as beautiful mortals. So, you know, fuckboys, mortals, 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 okay, mortals, yeah. Not that this excuses their fuckboyiness, they are extremely talented musicians. They can produce hypnotic tunes on their pipes and flutes and lure humans and animals into their revelry. Sounds like Jared Leto. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm gonna keep that. Mm, Okay. Don't at me, because you know it's true. (laughs) Sorry. They will sometimes use their dances ritualistically in order to help crops grow and to appease the gods. According to a fragment from the Hesodic catalog of women. Satyrs are sons of either Olympos or Argos. However, there may be more than one way to make a satyr. You know, kind of like there's more than one way to make a cyclops or a centaur. Did not not know that. I'm not gonna go into it. This um, centaur I know. I just didn't know the cyclops thing. Apparently, there's more than one way to make a cyclops. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) However, Classical Greeks did recognize that satyrs could not produce on their own since there were no female satyrs. They were only males. There is also this thing called a satyr play, and it is an ancient Greek form of tragicomedy similar to a body burlesque. They feature choruses of satyrs and were filled with mock drunkenness, brazen sexuality, Props included. (gasps) No! (laughs) Pranks, gags, and general merriment. Well, shit. (laughs) I only mention this because one of the... One of the satyr plays shows how after inventing the... Aulos? A-U-L-O-S... It's it's an it's an instrument of some kind. OS, OS. Aulos, Aulos. After inventing the Aulos, the goddess Athena looked in the mirror while playing it, 
and she saw that it made her look silly while she was playing it. So she threw it away and cursed it so that whoever picked it up would mean an awful death. So it was then picked up by the satyr Marcias. Marcias. What? It's the um, double fluted or like the two flute with the two. Oh, yeah. The pan connect. flute. Yeah. The no, pan- it's not the pan flute. It's I it um, was the pan flute. I can't show it to you. It's literally think of two flutes. Yeah. Where they're connected right here. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a plan- the pan flute. No, isn't the pan flute the... That's the Peter Pan flute. <laughs> no, it's... Pan flute. I don't... You're, you're probably right. No, the pan flute's the one with multiple where the, you can okay. go like this. The... It's, it's that weird Y-shaped flute. Yes. The Alos was picked up by the satyr Marcias, who then challenged Apollo to a musical contest. They both agreed that beforehand, whoever won in... I can't. It's the Greek... Oh, wait. Go for it. Go for it. I'll say it after you say that. Okay. They both agreed that whoever won would be allowed to do whatever he wanted to the loser. So, Marcias played the Aulos and Alo paid the lyre. Played the lyre. Apollo then turned his lyre upside down and played it. And he asked Marcias to do the same with his instrument. Since he could not, Apollo was deemed the victor. Apollo hung Marcias from a fi- from a pine tree and flayed him alive to punish him for his hubris and daring to challenge one of the gods. So it's the uh, Greek devil went down to Georgia with the opposite ending. Uh-huh. Exactly. Huh. Um, this was actually accepted as canon. That's <laughs> canon, guys. That's canon. And the Athenian sculptor Myron created a group of bronze sculptures based on it, which was installed before the western front of the Parthenon in around 440 BC. Damn. According to Martin Litchfield West, satyrs in Greek mythology are similar to many other entities appearing in Indo-European mythologies. Like satyrs, those... These Indo-European spirits are often animal-human hybrids, frequently personifying equine or asinine features. So I was going to touch on these other half-human, half-animal creatures, Mm -hmm. but there are so many that this would go on forever. So I'm just going to talk about the half-human, half-goat ones. Okay. (laughs) So the ancient Celts believed in... Do you want to, like... Do you have a list of what they are? Yes. Oh. But they don't all do the same thing. That's why. But I I can just list them out. The Celts had the Dusai. The Irish had the Bognac. The Scottish had the Urusigar and Glastig. However, the Glastig was a female. Hmm. Not a male. So, yeah. The Manx had the goer hadog which was just a the ghost of a goat oh and the slavs had the leshy i'm sorry i'm just laughing ghost goat like <laughs> ah, <laughs> okay. that's that's why i had it set up the way that it was set up because they don't all do the same thing right like yeah the celts in the the Irish and Scottish male ones were 
goblin goats oh. and troublemakers. The female Scottish spirit that had the lower half of the goat. A lot of stories have her luring men to her lair uh-huh. and singing by singing or dancing, and then she would drink their blood. So like a, a vampire goat. Other tales say that she would cast stones into the pat. I want to suck your blood. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, jeez. That was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Other tales say that she would cast stones into the paths of travelers to throw them off of their course. Hmm. Another more benign version of her is that she is a spirit protector of cattle and their herders. Yeah. The goat ghost, the Gorhadog, would follow people traveling the island of Manx and bring them bad luck. But if anyone tries to challenge or attack it, it just runs off. What you know. a coward. Yeah. Like an actual goat. Like, Find seriously. me like the man goat you are. <laughs> well, no, seriously, like an actual goat. You go running towards a goat, it books it. Or if it's one of the ones that gets scared, it just, like, freezes Thanks, and yeah. falls over. <laughs> I actually really like the Slavic one, the Leshy. Mm-hmm. It is a forest god, you know, like Tetro. From my neighbor, Tetro. You're gonna hate me. <laughs> you don't know what I know. I know it. I've just never seen it. Oh, that's okay. Leshy is portrayed covered with hair and goat horn, goat horns and ears, and has long claw-like fingernails. He is known to lead travelers astray and abduct children. Oh. Although, I don't think it's as much abducting children as it is taking children to a safe place. Okay. After they were cursed and put out by their parents. Oh. He is known to have a more neutral position towards humans. This is entirely dependent on the attitudes and behaviors of the person encountering him. Hmm. The Romans often identified satyrs as fawns, which were their own nature spirits. While similar in appearance, fawns were usually seen as shy woodland creatures rather than drunk and perverted. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's that's what I have on satyrs. There have been a couple of appearances, no real, no real sightings that, that been, you know of. That that they may not of. have been written down yet. Look, I got <laughs> something for you. Okay, some plays that they appear in. Mm-hmm. Plays, stories, movies, books, yeah. etc. Uh, the Cyclops by Euripides. That is not the right... Euripides? Euripides, thank you. The Cyclops by Euripides. The Metamorphoses by Ovid. Silentius by Thomas Woolner. The Island of David Moreau by H.G. Wells. Injust by E.E. Cummins. Cummings. Rebecca by Daphne de Moir. Fantasia, 1940. Yes. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mr. Hey, Tumnus. Hercules. Hercules, Hercules. Grover from Percy Jackson and the Olympians. <laughs> and the God of War series. But also, let's not forget the famous goat men that are wandering all across the U.S. Yes. That I really want to touch on later. Alright. <laughs> but... Goatmen and satyrs are kind of interchangeable, mm-hmm. except goatmen, people usually see a goat face, right. not. So, 
original satyrs, not the Hellenistic satyrs. But that's my story. Satyrs. I like that. I like mythology, so I'm super into that. It, okay, it was either satyrs or harpies, and I was just like... Oh, harpies. I know. But I wanted to bring it back to, like, the harpy episode from Paranormal Witness. I think Uh. that's what it was. And also the harpies eagle. (laughs) Could have taken it also to um, World of Warcraft. They have some harpy, like... But also... Harpies, I could have also brought it back to the bird women that are becoming really popular in, like, anime and stuff. I don't do that. I know, but it's really popular again. It's so interesting that we're even friends. We have so many different interests. Look, that- anyway, that's my story. Um, I do want to touch on the- the goat men later. Yeah. But also- I have goats, so I'm just imagining, like, what they say it is, a goat-headed creature, and I'm just kind of like, that's not going to scare me. I'm going to look at it and pet its horns. All right. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Myths and Misfortunes or Twitter at Myths Misfortune. Or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to MythsAndMisfortunes at gmail.com. Our music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, iHeartRadio. Thank you. If we're on those places by the point this is released, I believe we should be. We should be. Yeah. Um, Um, We are working on getting us on Stitcher, too, so if anyone uses that, uh, just... Just heads up. Yeah. So, All right. Thanks. Thanks again. for listening. Bye. Bye.